Hello and welcome back. This is once again the deputy of MovieDeputy.com going over the movie recaps with you for the movies that came out the week of November 19th. This week we got a chance to see India Sweets and Spices, King Richard, The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain, which we watched on HBO Max, and Ghostbusters Afterlife. Now, if you listen to my upcoming movies podcast this last episode, you know how excited I was for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and so I'm saving the best for last in this situation. But I'm just really excited to get into telling you about these for both the highs and the lows in each of these as they go. But before I get into that, my husband and I were out doing some shopping earlier and at a local retail store, we just happened to come across some Dr. Seuss books. And the Dr. Seuss book, the classic, Are You My Mother? One of my husband's favorite books as a child. He decided to open it up and look through it. And then he's like, wait a minute, something's different here. So when we left, he texted his mom and asked if she could find the book or if she still had it. There is a page in Are You My Mother by Dr. Seuss where it is like this big excavator type scoop. And on that page, it calls the excavator the big scary snort. Now, my husband remembered clearly that that was not what he had grown up with. So his mom found the book. In the book that he had from his childhood, which was back in the 1970s, it is simply referred to as the big thing instead of the big scary snort. So if you happen to be a fan of Dr. Seuss books, you might want to look at the classics uh, compared to like how they're reprinting them now and see if you can find any other errors. And if you do, please let me know. Again, just use the hashtag MovieDeputy on social media so that I can find it. And I'm always on the lookout for this. As you guys know, I am not a book critic by any means. (laughs) Even when it comes to movies, I don't read the books. But that's just kind of me on that. But this is just one thing that we caught tonight that I just thought I'd bring up because it just happened to be like a what the moment. (laughs) And it's just how many other of our childhood things have they changed like that? Yes, I'm old. I mean, I was born in the 70s. And yes, the 1970s, or as the new generation calls it, the late 1900s. And oh, that makes me cringe every time I hear it. But let's get right into talking about these movies. And we're going to start with India Sweets and Spices. In India Sweets and Spices, it definitely was not the movie that I was expecting. Being that it's made by the same people who did Crazy Rich Asians, and that movie ended up being such a heartwarming story that just kind of took you through, and you just kind of rode the wave of the movie all the way through on that one. This one, ugh. (laughs) And I'm not even going to edit that out. But, ugh, is just probably about the best way I can describe it. I should address that my personal political stance is separate from that of Movie Deputy. I do my best to stay politically neutral with Movie Deputy, but I myself am a constitutional conservative. And being that this story completely centered around liberal activism and feminism, with pretty much every part of the story, it had parts of the story dealing with infidelity and drug use, it just... And it seemed like those were more minor parts of the story. It was trying to really be a heartfelt story of what if we are what we are and then everything changes and then we don't recognize ourselves anymore. So it was trying to be a movie about staying true to yourself, but it really lost itself as it was being told because it's about this Middle Eastern family whose daughter goes to college and she's going home and she's expected to live up to all these expectations by her aunties and other family members. But it just doesn't end up playing out like that. And she ends up learning some secrets about her mom. 
everything just kind of plays out as the story is going on. And even as it wraps up after the story is told and after everything comes out, this story just really struggles to find its footing. Whether or not that would be for you is a different story. If you are in agreement with the whole liberal activism and feminism, yes, I'm a woman. I absolutely do not identify as a feminist. Now that may upset some of my listeners, but I've always promised you that I don't have a filter and I'm not going to start now. So this is just me. You get what you get. But when I watch a movie like this, I watched, like I said, I watched it all the way through. I never walked out of a movie, but this one was honestly tempting if it's just one of those things that you feel strongly about. And honestly, there were people that did get up and leave during the movie that honestly were not expecting it to be what it was. So I did go ahead and give this a 4.0 on the movie deputy scale, which is watchable but forgettable. And I think that really sums this up. The next movie we're going to be talking about today is King Richard. This story, if you've followed any of the trailers or any of the commercials, you know is a story about Venus and Serena Williams. Or at least that's what you think. It ends up actually being a lot more about their dad, Richard Williams. It truly is almost like the Richard Williams show because Venus and Serena, as wonderful of tennis players as they are, they honestly wouldn't be there without things that their dad did. He had an entire plan drawn up for them before they were even born, and it was a very strict regimen of training and schooling and just this entire path that he had. And even as they got better and he was able to convince certain coaches and stuff to take them on as the prodigies that they were, he was still involved and he still insisted on doing things his way, even when that went completely against the grain. With doing that, it was either going to set these girls up for incredible things, which as we know have happened in their lives, or it was going to crash and burn horribly. We know how it played out because we know Venus and Serena's careers. One of them actually says in the movie that the The strongest and most powerful creature on this planet is a woman who can think. Another powerful quote is one that has been around for a long time, much longer than this movie. But it's, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. Richard maybe took that a little bit too far as he planned out every little detail of their lives. And yes, I was trying to emphasize the words in such a strong detail like that because of the fact that he micromanaged them almost to the point of breaking their careers before they were even made. Their sheer talent is what brought them through that. Because no matter how much training you have, if you don't have the talent to do it, you're not going to succeed. It is a very, very inspirational story, but at the same time, it's very difficult to watch at times because you could see the struggles. It does deal with a lot of the racial issues that this family dealt with in their community and in the tennis community as they came up through that because a lot of people saw nothing more than the color of their skin instead of their talent. It took finding people that could look beyond the color of their skin to help them succeed in this. King Richard, I I was struggling on the score on this one because I was right in between the sixes and low sevens on that. I decided to give it a 6.5 on the movie deputy scale. Just because the way it plays out is a little bit difficult at times. And also the fact that it deals with some racially triggering dialogue at times. But 
again, this is a movie that if you are wanting to be inspired to absolutely doing the impossible, there is something to be said for what this movie does and the uplifting feeling of it. Even with all that, it's like, it just, I don't know, it just felt like it might have been missing something. This is a movie that you will literally laugh, you will cry, you're going to feel it as these girls go through all of this. You will surely leave this movie with something that you didn't expect. Where you take that information and go from there is completely up to you. And don't forget, if you'd like to hear your ad in this space here, just reach out to us directly at moviedeputy.com or at moviedeputy at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain is the next film that we're going to be talking about. This is a story that is very intensely controversial for a lot of different reasons. Before the story even begins, there is a quote that states, Depending on who you are, the sight of an officer can produce either a warm sense of safety and contentment or a plummeting feeling of terror by Christopher Hayes. Now, that kind of gives you a little bit of a direction of what the story is talking about. The story of Kenneth Chamberlain is that Kenneth accidentally activated his life alert. I don't know the, what the company, I think it was Life Aid, but he activated the button for help. And when they reached out to him through the call box, he didn't respond. So they sent first responders to do a well check to make sure that he was all right. When the police arrived on scene, they attempted to get his attention. All they needed to do was verify that he was okay. So if he would have just opened the door and they saw that he was okay, that everything was fine, it all would have been good. The officers did learn that he was both emotionally disturbed and medically fragile. Those are terms from the movie, and that's why I'm choosing to use that terminology. I'm not saying those specifically about him. Those were descriptions used in the movie. The story really kind of crosses a line. It shows that the officers had been trying to get this guy's attention for a period of time. He activated the thing at like five something in the morning, and by seven o'clock he was dead. The officers had attempted for over an hour to get him just to come to the door and verify that he was okay. The longer that he kept stalling, the officers started to have concerns that there may have been somebody else in the apartment or that there may have been something more suspicious going on because he wouldn't answer the door. But being that he was emotionally disturbed, he did not want to open the door for any reason. Well, as it became more of a serious issue, they had to get in the door Kenneth Chamberlain was determined not to let them in. At one point, there were even threats made by Chamberlain to the police officers, and at some point that there was a knife involved. The story gets a little fuzzy from there. It's even a little fuzzy as it's portrayed, because I actually looked up this story because I was curious on the dramatization versus what actually happened. According to the U.S. Attorney's Office, is one thing and what is portrayed in this story is another. In this story, the police are purely the aggressors and it shows that Mr. Chamberlain just was a victim of circumstance and police brutality. When in reality, the, what actually happened was a little bit different. Yes, it was an accident that he had set off the life alert, but everything else beyond that could have been prevented if he had just opened the door. Now, I'm not saying in any way, shape, or form that Kenneth Chamberlain deserved to die. Absolutely not. But the situation and how it's portrayed is one that is very much anti-authority, anti-police. 
such a controversial time as we are in right now in with society something like this just is fanning the flames even further than what needs to be this is going to invoke a lot of really strong emotions in people just because of the subject matter and how it is portrayed and so it's important to know the at the end of a lot of movies, they talk about that there's no similarity to any person's blah, blah, blah. And I think it's important to read the actual disclaimer thing that's at the end of the film that I took note of. It says, while this motion picture is based on actual events and persons, certain characters, incidents, dialogue, and names are fictionalized for the purpose of dramatization. As to any such fictionalization, any similarity to the name or to the actual character or history of any person living or dead or actual incident is entirely for dramatic purposes and not intended to reflect on any actual character or history. Now, why did I take the time to actually read that to you? It is because of how this is portrayed versus how this actually played out. That is where your brain immediately goes. I did give The Killing of Kenneth Chamberlain a 5.25 on the deputy scale just because it is a tragedy, as any loss of life is in any scenario. But in this particular scenario, the police were doing their best to respond to this call to try to make sure that he was all right. And as things escalated, it just went further from that. So many times stories like these just like I said, further fan the flames of hatred against authorities, against the police. Because, yes, there are bad cops out there. And yes, there are bad doctors. And yes, there are bad business people. But that doesn't mean that they reflect on everybody else as a whole. In this particular scenario, the police, they were doing everything that they thought was necessary to try to check on his wellness and his well-being. And just the actions that played out in real life. Please feel free to check out the upcoming movies episode for this week because I did put a link to the justice.gov information about this actual case. It's definitely worth reading even if you choose not to watch the movie just because stories like this shouldn't be forgotten. But that doesn't mean that they should fan the flames and make things even harder for those whose duty it is to protect us. We're going to go from a movie that had a very serious topic and a very sensitive topic for many to one that is a favorite for many and I'm so excited that it's finally here. It's Ghostbusters Afterlife! Yeah, you can't tell I'm excited at all, can you? But <laughs> a little over the top, I've already seen this movie in the theater multiple times. I'm going to go and see it even more times and it's... I try to set my expectations fairly low before going into a movie. This one I couldn't help it. I set my expectations super high. And best thing is, it actually exceeded those high expectations that I had. But, <laughs> I mean, we waited 33 years for this movie since Ghostbusters 2. Now, I have to say, I have to give credit to whatever that Ghostbusters thing was in 2016. It's almost not even Ghostbusters. It shouldn't be counted as Ghostbusters. I mean, what is that awful? But at the same time, if that one hadn't sucked 
as bad as it did, we wouldn't have gotten this one because they didn't want that to be the legacy of Ghostbusters. They didn't want to go from the original stories to whatever in the hell that thing was. I mean, that's just, ugh. But, oh, they have so more than made up for it. And this story just is everything that you've ever wanted in a Ghostbusters movie and more on so many different levels. Now, it is a PG-13 movie. I don't know why it's a PG-13 movie, except the fact that it says the S-H word three times. That's really the only thing. It's no more scary or no more intense than what the original Ghostbusters was if you were a fan of that. This one gets you right in the feels. It's like if you have ever enjoyed watching either of the other movies, it touches and it references both of the original Ghostbusters movies so many times in this. And best thing is, after I got to watch it the first time, I saw it the second time with my best friend. He actually went with me to see this. I'm lucky enough that I call my best friend my better half, also known as my husband. So yeah, it was just, it was so much fun. Back in New York, during the Manhattan Crossing, the whole big event that happened there in the first Ghostbusters movie, the beams that were in the skyscraper that made it the conduit for all this ghost activity came from this mountain in Somerville, Oklahoma. And so when Egon dies, we're going to just kind of pretend like he didn't die years ago in real life. Because in the movie, he was actually still alive at the beginning of the movie. So, like I had said before, we're going to be missing Harold Ramis and Rick Moranis. We're actually only missing Rick Moranis. And you will find out more about that if you actually check out the movie yourself. But we're kind of given a glimpse into the Egon that lives in Somerville. And he is known affectionately and jokingly to the local residents as the dirt farmer. That also will kind of be explained as it goes. Like I said, I'm not completely spoiler free here on the podcast, but I'm not going to ruin that because that's like a major part of the movie. So his daughter and grandkids moved to Somerville because they literally have nothing left but this farm left to her by her dad. And along the way, the grandson, his name is Trevor, the granddaughter, her name is Phoebe. And their son is the typical 15-year-old, just kind of teenager, wants to make friends, wants to have a social life, just kind of has fun. Phoebe, on the other hand, is a total science nerd, just like her grandpa. And they just really captivate on that through the story. And I just love how it plays out. Like I said, it references so many things in the other movies. And yes, once again, they are going to end up reactivating kind of all of the psychic supernatural energy around this mountain and it's going to absolutely come to a precipice that it's going to take these family members coming together and finding the clues that Egon left them along with some help from some other friends and if you listen to my upcoming movies where I talked about this you know that everybody else is coming back and yes I'm animated and I'm excited but I this one is just like I said, it exceeded everything that I could have ever expected. <laughs> At least in the case of everything but Slimer. I mean, it's Ghostbusters, so having Slimer there is existentially a Ghostbusters thing. But here, we don't get Slimer. Instead, we get a free-floating metal muncher. Now, if you can't quite picture what that is, picture Slimer if he was in the body of a hippo that only ate metal and was as dumb as a box of rocks. There are so many new funny things though to this one. There's one thing right off the beginning of the movie and it's called, um, well, let me go into a little bit more detail here. Phoebe is has a hard time making friends and when she goes to school for the first time in Somerville, 
she runs into this kid named Podcast. Now, he calls himself Podcast because of his podcast. Now, hmm, should I change my name to Podcast? No, I think I'll stick with Movie Deputy. But, because <laughs> I have a podcast. Ah la la, here we are. The, the podcast at her house comes across this whistle. And he blows into this whistle, and it is this god-awful screech that we cannot even begin to try to recreate. He goes, can I have this? And, of course, the mom is like, yes, just don't do that again. (laughs) (laughs) And it's kind of another kind of a funny line that just kind of sums up Somerville. It's when they're first pulling into Somerville that Trevor is looking on his phone, and he notices he doesn't have any bars. And he's like, oh, there's not any bars. And she's like, oh, there better be a bar. <laughs> More kind of an adult type line joke there. Kids might not get that reference, but it's not too adult that it would be not suitable for kids. But yeah, this whole story is just if you're worried about the state park parts from men from the whole thing in Manhattan, but here we get it even better because we don't just get a marshmallow man, we get tons of marshmallow men. They're these itty bitty little guys. Demented little creatures. <laughs> yeah, they're completely demented. They literally are like roasting each other over a grill and turning each other into s'mores and one of them actually, I don't know if they bite or what what he does to the, to the guy's finger, but honestly if you were bit by a marshmallow, would it even hurt? <laughs> I mean, it's a marshmallow. <laughs> But it's a ghostly marshmallow. It is a ghostly marshmallow. And it's an evil, demented, ghostly marshmallow. Well, they're not just one. There's many of them that are evil and demented. <laughs> yeah, because you don't just have one. Picture if you divided this 100-foot marshmallow man into these little 3-inch marshmallow men, how many of them you'd have. And it's maybe not quite that many, but it kind of feels like it. And just kind of as the whole story progresses, Phoebe just kind of follows the clues that her grandfather has left her, and he kind of comes back in a way and helps her. They end up working together to try to trap all this psychic, paranormal energy that is trying to wreak havoc on the world, and they have to contain it before it's too late. But there's only one way to do so. In order to do that, they're going to have to require the friends. Like I said, the whole cast is coming back, so you get to see everybody, and Unfortunately, we do not get a classic line that's don't cross the streams because as we know at the end of the first movie, they had to cross the streams in order to get Gozer under control. They have to cross the streams and everything, but I'm kind of jumping all around on this whole movie. I don't want to forget to mention that you will honestly never look at Walmart the same way (laughs) after this movie. (laughs) Yeah, really. (laughs) Because the, <laughs> the dogs are also back, too. Yeah, the demon dogs are back. And you don't just get to see them as these creatures on top of the building. <laughs> You're watching them run and scratch and gorge themselves on these huge bags of dog food at Walmart. <laughs> and the chase that just ensues through the store and out the store. Now, how is a d- demon dog going to get through the door? any way he wants and that includes by just breaking through so if you could ever look at a walmart the same way after a story such as this i give you kudos for that one we were just driving by one earlier and we couldn't help but look over it's like you know i'm gonna see that every time i look at a walmart for pretty much the rest of my life The only thing different in this one is the nice doggy. <laughs> yeah, and 
nice doggy. Yeah, there's nothing nice about these doggies. <laughs> but there's so many more references in this one. Like I said, you've got the Gozer, you've got the Gatekeeper and the Key Master. And like I said, everything is all back together. And best of all, even as it all wraps up, it does something that is going to hit you right in the feels. They dedicate this whole story by saying, For Harold in the night sky and even now I have goosebumps just thinking about that because I'll, I'll be honest I cried during the times I've watched this already I have yet to watch it without crying I don't know if I'll ever be able to watch it without crying but there's just something to that and you think that's almost going to be the end of the story but it's not there ends up it kind of leads into that there could be something more following this one now there are certain dates that are playing along in the movie if you're paying attention to the fine details kind of like I do. It had like the 1984 and then it had the year now of 2021 and then the next year was 2134 and if we have to wait 113 years until the next movie I'm not going to be happy. <laughs> but then again it didn't have 1989 on there even though it covered 1984 and 2021. That was a bit unusual. If you do go see this in the theater, there is a bonus scene in the middle of the credits, and then there are actually two scenes in the post-credits, and they kind of play into one another. It brings the whole story full circle, and it is just over the top in an incredible way. Now, you're probably wondering what I gave this movie on the deputy scale. As you've seen and heard in my previous podcasts, I can be fairly strict and stuff on my scores. But on Ghostbusters Afterlife, I did give this an 8.5 out of 10 on the Movie Deputy scale. Now, if you have paid attention to Movie Deputy at all, you know how special that is. I have always said that the original Ghostbusters is my favorite movie of all time. And you know, even though I gave it a lower score, I'm still going to stick to that. But this is a very, very close second. There's just something special here that... Without the first one, this wouldn't make any sense. Or without either of the first ones, this wouldn't make any sense as it plays off of both. But like I said, this is just really spectacular. And if you've ever enjoyed the Ghostbusters franchise, the story, either any of the movies, anything, this is one that you absolutely must check out. And I want to thank my husband for sitting in here with me and just kind of contributing on this. I asked him if he would participate on this one. And I'm the movie buff of the family, so... I'm just kind of the silly one, but I just want to thank him for participating, so thank you, Pumpkin. Yeah, I'm glad to be here. Like I've promised you in the past, you'll actually get to find out what I really think about movies as I discuss these movie recaps. Some of what I've brought here today lets you see a little bit more of who I really am and more of my personality as it's starting to come through. If you've made it with me this far please go ahead and like and subscribe to my content on whatever platform that you're using because it's only going to get better from here. There are going to be highs and lows and as you could tell Ghostbusters Afterlife is a major high. Some of the other movies maybe not so much but yeah I'm probably going to be referencing this movie for a long time. <laughs> totally guilty of that one. This is a journey. It's a fun one and I look forward to going on it together. So come along with me and I'll talk to you soon.